This is SB Nation Radio. The next generation of sports radio. Kelly's going to run right. He heads to the goal line. Does he break the plane? He does! Touchdown, Ole Miss! This is College Football Game Day. Roberts is in the shotgun. He takes the snap. He runs to the left. It's a sweep. He's to the four, to the He's three. In. He's in. Touchdown, Michigan! Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. We are roaring into week number 11 of the college football season. It is rivalry weekend, and the Pac-12 is taking front and center stage later tonight. USC and Washington doesn't get better than this. Can the Huskies pull out this victory later tonight in Seattle and move on to possibly a playoff appearance? We shall see. Rockin' Rich Sermonello, I am chomping at the bit for week number 11 of the college football season. As am I, Joe. Uh, You might expect I'm excited about another Saturday. In fact, this time of year, you might be like me, I start to really cherish each of these Saturdays because now we're getting close to mid-November. We realize this passion that we have with college football is not going to last much longer, so I'm trying to make the most of every last remaining Saturday we have left. Yeah, it's really interesting. At first glance, when we looked at this schedule, it looked like a little lackluster type of schedule for this coming weekend, but you know in the month of November, this is when the upsets take place in college football. We've seen it week in and week out, year after year. Uh, Going back for decades now, the month of November is really the make-it-or-break-it month for some of these teams to possibly make a playoff appearance. We lost Rich. He'll come back in a little bit, but in the month of November, the battle of attrition is when these teams really, they have to show that they can wear off adversity and get to the possible playoff. We've seen it back in the days of Rich Rod in Morgantown. He was number two overall. The backyard brawl, Pittsburgh knocked him out of the BCS championship game, and this is where teams really have to get their their sights set on possibly championship titles and more importantly that top four ranking for the college playoff. If you didn't see the rankings this coming week, it did come out. It is Alabama, Clemson, Michigan, and Washington now in the number four spot, edging out Ohio State after Texas A&M's loss last week in Starkville against Mississippi State. Rich and I have a great show planned for you today. At 1031 Eastern Time, we're going to be joined by former Georgia Bulldog running back Robert Edwards. He's going to talk to us about about the SEC's oldest rivalry game, Auburn and Georgia doesn't get better than this. Robert Edwards had a dynamic performance in the 1996 game that was the SEC's first overtime game. Georgia won that battle in four overtimes against Terry Bowden and the Auburn Tigers. He'll be joining us at 1031 to talk about Kirby Smart and Jacob Eason. Can they pull out the victory against Gus Malzahn and the Tigers later today at 3.30? At 11 p.m. Eastern Time, our SEC insider and big play uh, wide receiver from Georgia, Corey Allen, will be joining us. We'll also get Corey's take about that rivalry game because Corey's uh, touchdown reception in 1996 was the, was the reception that allowed Georgia to send that game into overtime. Those memories are through and through, and we'll get Corey's take about the rivalry game and, more importantly, about the SEC games this coming weekend th- today in about a couple hours. Florida and South Carolina, an intriguing battle. Tennessee and Kentucky as well. They all have SEC 
East implications. All four of those teams are still alive for the SEC East title. We'll see how it plays out. Tennessee, three straight losses now in the conference. They have not played well. Kentucky last week coming off a disappointing loss, 27-24 to to Georgia. You look at South Carolina, they seem to be the hottest team out of those four teams with a, a victory last week over Missouri and two weeks ago over Tennessee. Bentley, their quarterback, playing very well. Florida coming off a disappointing loss last week in Fayetteville to Arkansas. So we'll see how that plays out uh, in about a couple of hours. They're both scheduled for 12 o'clock starts a little bit later today. And then 1130 Eastern time, we're going to be joined by former Washington safety and former All-Pro in the NFL, Tony Parrish. Tony's at the game where Washington and UC, uh, USC battle tonight. We'll get Tony's take about what Jake Browning and the offense have to do, and more importantly, what the defense has to do to put pressure on USC quarterback Sam Darnold in that matchup. We'll wait for Rich to get back on the line. We'll start with the breakdowns. A couple of 12-30 games that I have my eye on, Penn State and Indiana. It's an intriguing battle. Penn State at 7-2 overall, playing very well with a dominating performance last week at home in Happy Valley against Iowa. 41 to 14. Saquon Barkley in the offense really clicking, and that offensive line has a lot of continuity now for James Franklin in that offense. You look at this matchup overall, since 2011. Penn State has won four of the last five by 14 points per game. But if you've watched Indiana and Kevin Wilson, they play very, very well at home. And I think this game is going to be a lot closer than people think. But we'll hold off on that. I want to welcome in my co-host, Rich Sermonello. Rich, some audio difficulties, but it doesn't matter. You're still ready and amped up for this game later tonight. Did, did I miss the uh, part where, where where you suggested Purdue might win this weekend? <laughs> I didn't get to the, I didn't get to that twelve o'clock. Ah, <laughs> okay, that's the best part. <laughs> I, I'm I'm disappointed if I missed that. No, not at all. Not at all. It, it, audio difficulties, Rich, they're part of the, the industry. We know that. And but again, when you look at this schedule overall. At first glance, people say, ah, it's an off week for college football, but you could go back, and I brought up the Rich Rod days when they were at West Virginia with the backyard brawl, 28-point favorites in that ballgame, and Pitt got the victory to knock them out of the BCS game. So you never know what can happen in November, and more importantly, in these rivalry games. Yeah, no, I think that's an excellent point. When you look historically, we always have these types of weekends that appear to be sort of under the radar. We have the one big game between Washington and USC, and then a lot of games that, while compelling and interesting, don't really rise to the level that we've been expected to over the first 10 weeks. But what we've learned historically is some of these teams that are undefeated, kind of sleepwalking through this weekend, they can get picked off. So I wouldn't be the least bit shocked that by late tonight, early tomorrow morning there's something that happens that's cataclysmic as uh, as it pertains to the college football playoff. And when you look at the top teams overall, they, I mean, dynamic slate. Mississippi State travels to Tuscaloosa to face number one Alabama. You look at Clemson and Pittsburgh in that battle at 3.30 p.m. in Death Valley. Number three, Michigan travel, travels to Iowa in Kinnick Stadium to face Kirk Ferentz and uh, C.J. Beathard in that battle. And then Washington and USC. There is the possibility when you look at those games, maybe outside of Mississippi State, Alabama, but it is an early kick. It is the week after LSU. People just expect 
Alabama in a roll. You never know what can happen. I mean, when you look at these battles overall, for you, which team is on an upset alert? Because I, I, for me, I have two. It's Clemson against Pittsburgh, and it's Michigan against Iowa. Want to get your thoughts about which team out of the top four is on upset alert today? Well, I, yeah, I, I think the obvious one, well, although I think Washington wins tonight, I think the obvious one would be Washington because of how well USC is playing. Uh, Clay Helton now has his footing as the head coach coach Sam Darnold the redshirt freshman quarterback has been outstanding since he has been inserted into the lineup that's kind of the obvious one but in terms of less obvious I'll go with Iowa against Michigan I have not been impressed by the Hawkeyes this year they've been really disappointing after the breakout season in 2015 but at home at night this is their opportunity to sort of recapture a little bit of the swagger. They have a lot of veterans on both sides of the ball. If Iowa is ever going to pull it together in 2016, this might be the chance to do it. And teams have to battle through injuries. We saw Alabama yep. battle through the injury and the loss of their safety. Eddie Jackson last week, Micah Fitzpatrick did fill in in the safety position. We'll see how Nick Saban and Jeremy Pruitt utilize him today against Mississippi State. But you you look at Deshaun Watson, hurt last week at home against Syracuse, hurt his shoulder. How hurt is he in this battle? Because that could play into this role against Pittsburgh later today. Joe, you bring up a really important point. As we slog through a season at this point, week 11, mid-November, it's not just the kids that are out, too. It's the ones that are playing but are playing at 80% that could really impact these games. That we don't know a lot of times, but that is an important factor as we get towards the end of the regular season. Yeah, I mean, that's something that you have to keep an eye out. This is what we talk about, overcoming the attrition of the schedule, because it's not just the schedule. You have to battle through injuries. You have to battle through adversity, rivalry games. There's so much that these kids have to keep focused. We're just getting started. Stay with us. Rich and I will come back. We'll break down week number 11, top 25 matchups. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello live from New York, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Back on the College Football Game Day show right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, live from the Big Apple. Rich and I will just jump right into the 12 o'clock games of lesser value. Rich, an intriguing one, Cincinnati and Central Florida. You look at Oregon, do you think that they wish that they still had offensive coordinator Scott Frost as a OC so they could get rid of Helfrich and, and just yeah. really move on? But he's doing a great job with the Knights in this battle. They're playing a downtrodden Cincinnati team, a lot of pressure on Tommy Tuberville. A big favorite for uh, Central Florida in this matchup, laying 11. I like the Bearcats in this spot. I like them to move the football and possibly get the upset later today. You know, a lot will depend upon Central Florida's ability to score defensively and on special teams. They had three non-offensive touchdowns last week, Joe, and this offense is horrendous. I mean, Scott Frost has taken more time to get the offense going. Doesn't have the personnel. He's using a young quarterback in Mackenzie Milton, but has done a phenomenal job with the defense. Defense is outstanding. I don't like the way Cincinnati is playing. They're struggling offensively. You mentioned Tubby has problems on the field and off the field. I think he could get the boot in December. I think Central Florida now at 5-4, and four, Joe, they could become bowl eligible at Bright House 
Clubhouse Network Stadium. They'll be pumped up for this game. I think they roll big time, and Scott Frost moves closer at least to being the American uh, Coach of the Year in 2016. Well, well, I'll bring up one statistic that you mentioned what he's done with the offense. I mean, pedestrian this year, they're averaging 360 total yards per game. But you look at the rushing attack. They're averaging 168 yards on the ground. You know where they were last year at the start of the year with George O'Leary and where they finished? 80 rushing yards per game. They were a one-dimensional offense. He's brought offensive balance, and now what they have is they, they're starting to understand the system. He doesn't have the players yet that he needs to run sideline to sideline, guys that can catch the edge. Once he gets that, this offense will be prolific in my opinion. The one thing I think that they struggle with is in pass coverage. They're giving up 211 yards per game. That's why I like Gunnar Keel and Cincinnati. By no way, shape, or form do I think Tommy Tuberville is back in Cincinnati, especially yelling at the fans last mm-hmm. week. Even though the, the university backed him, uh, he, uh, that, that's just to get through the season. We'll see how that game plays out. Rich loves U- UCF in this battle. I'm sticking with Cincinnati. I'm calling for the upset. I think the Bearcats will be in it from start to finish. When we come back, we'll break down all the 12 o'clock. Stay with us. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live from the Big Apple, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Keep it where it is. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Back on College Football Game Day right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network live from the Big Apple. Before we get into Penn State, Indiana, if you want to talk college football with us, give us a call, 844-843-6879. That's 844-843-6879. You could tweet me on Twitter at go for the 2 That's number two. You could follow Rich on Twitter at Rich Sermonello. That's C-I-R. M-I-N-I-E-L-L-O. Rich, you look at this Penn State team, a 7-2 overall with a dominating home victory over Iowa last, last week in primetime. Dominating performance on both the offense and defensive lines. James Franklin really has this team focused. They've won four of the last five against Indiana by 14 points per game. But I have a hunch this game's going to be a lot closer than people think. Kevin Wilson doing a fantastic job with this team, Indiana, and they play much better at home than they do on the road. I think it'll be competitive for a while, Joe, but I, 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 I'm giving up on, on doubting Penn State at this point. I have been so impressed with what they've done since the Ohio State game. I thought Ohio State was a fluke. Obviously, they got the big uh, special team score late to beat Ohio State. I figured it was a whiteout, maybe all the emotion But you're right. James Franklin has these guys playing exceptionally well on both sides of the ball. Trace McSorley, the quarterback, has settled down to compliment Saquon Barkley. Defense playing great with Garrett Sickles and Marcus Allen on the back end. I think they go into Bloomington. I think they start slowly but pull away. I have this game 34-21 Penn State. The win, the cover, and they continue to trek closer to a 10-win regular season, which just blows my mind. (laughs) Well, here's the thing about James Franklin. When you look at what he's done now with this team, I think when you look at this team overall, the first two years that they were there, they never rushed for over 143 yards uh, per game on the the year. Uh, First year, they struggled for like 106 yards per game. Uh, Last year, they were in the area 143. They had offensive line issues. In 2014, they allowed 44 sacks. In 2013, it was 39. But they didn't have the type of quarterback that James Franklin wanted to have. Now, McSorley is not Lamar Jackson. But he's more mobile 
than Christian Hackenberg was in the scheme. He could step up in the pocket when there is pressure from the outside, and he really has progressed. And if you look at the quarterback that he had in Vanderbilt, a guy named Jordan Rogers, he was the same type of quarterback, even Austin Carter Samuels. So I think when you see the progression of Penn State, a lot has to do with the offensive line continuity in run in run blocking, but a lot has to do with Trace McSorley's progression as well, uh, because I really feel he He's a key element to this offense. By referencing Jordan Rodgers, are you suggesting that McSorley might have a future on The Bachelor someday? Absolutely not. Jordan Rodgers is a much better looking man than Trace McSorley, just my opinion. But hey, very attractive man. I I will absolutely (laughs) say that. Taking nothing away from Trace McSorley. But to your point, Christian Hackenberg, who he inherited from Bill O'Brien, never was the answer. I mean, that was the case of a kid that was, you know, uh, a, a round peg in a square hole or a round whatever the case may be. He just didn't fit in Penn State and didn't fit in that offense. McSorley, though, has gradually gotten better. They now have that run-pass option. Chris Godwin on the outside is an outstanding next-level receiver. And this is the foundational year that James Franklin desperately needed. I mean, it looked at the beginning of the year, Joe, that you know, maybe he's coaching for his job. Now he's coaching to really build this into a powerhouse beginning in 2017. Here's the thing when you look at Penn State 7-2, and two, and I've heard uh, uh, from other shows, are they a possible outside uh, selection should things fall their way to make the playoff? I can't see it no, in any no. way. Sh- I mean, here's the thing, no. the measuring stick. Yes, they got the victory over Ohio State at home, but you look at that, that loss on the road in Ann Arbor where yeah. uh, Michigan rushed for 326 yards on that defense, they're well, still... lost the pit, too. They lost the pit also. And that Pitt's was a shootout, though. They year. lost that game 42-39. I mean, you look at Pittsburgh's resume, they lost to North Carolina by a point. They lost by three to Vatek, so you could sort of understand that, that it's a rivalry game, but they got blown out by Michigan yeah. and Ann Arbor. I mean, it wasn't he, even close. Yeah. Here's where the bar is set, which is perfectly fine if you're a Lion fan. The bar is set at a, at a New Year's Six Bowl game. If you can get to 10-2 and two and land a spot in one of the six premier postseason games that is just way beyond expectations that is tremendous heading into 2007 forget about the playoffs if you can get a new year's a new year's six bowl bid be the third team out of the pens uh, out of the uh, big 10 i think you're perfectly fine in happy valley here's the thing about indiana that i like they can pass the football they're averaging 298 yards through the air they're they have a big play quarterback in lego 61 uh, percent of his passes 2500 yards 15 touchdowns yes he's been turnover turnover prone 13 interceptions but their third down defense is very solid and I look at that as a way of keeping them in this ball game they're holding opposing offenses to 31 percent on third downs to me that's the difference and they're not as bad in run support only giving up 165 yards on the ground they lost this battle 29 to 7 last year I think they're going to be in this game, Rich. I really do. I think this game is going to be a lot closer, and I do feel that Indiana will push Penn State to the limit and possibly get the upset later today in about an hour and a half, but we'll see how that plays out. Rich likes Penn State. I like Indiana in this battle. Let's turn our attention to another 12 o'clock game. I want to say under-the-radar game, but it's a solid matchup. Tulsa and Navy. Mm. Navy with that dynamic 28-27 to victory over Brian Kelly and Jacksonville. I called that upset. I mean, just a monumental victory for the midshipmen. They've been close in recent years, knocked off Notre Dame in 2007. And this Tulsa team, Richie, look at their two losses. Houston on the goal line 
and and week number two against Ohio State. I mean, not too shabby. They could very well be eight and one overall. Philip Montgomery is beginning to do an outstanding job at Tulsa. He, he's, a, he's a disciple of Art Bryles, really got out of Baylor at the right time. Getting to Tulsa now can use this job as a possible launching pad to a Power 5 program. You look at what they're doing. Offensively, they've got balance with Dane Evans, running the ball exceptionally well with James Flanders and D'Angelo Brewer. And defensively, they've been opportunistic beginning at the line of scrimmage. Now, are they in a position to handle the option? That's the big question in Annapolis this afternoon. Great under-the-radar game. Glad you brought it up because this will decide who wins the American Athletic Conference West Division. And so there's going to be a lot at stake today in Annapolis. Well, here's what I, I like Tulsa in this matchup for a couple of factors. They're balanced offensively, passing for 257, run, rushing for 254. They have a big play quarterback in Dane Evans. You look at I know they're they're military kids, but to beat Notre Dame on a neutral field site the way they did last week, and to follow that up, it was Veterans Day yesterday. Mm-hmm. I know it's a, a big conference battle, but I just like the speed of Tulsa because the way you beat the triple option is you have to score first by double digits and put pressure on that offense to come from behind, and that's why I like the Golden Hurricane here. I think they have the speed on the perimeter to really get Navy out of their game plan. You know what they also have? They have three veteran linebackers who've been there and done that. They've been productive throughout their careers, Joe. Matt Linscott, Trent Martin, Craig Suits. Again, I don't think they have a lot of experience against the option, but in terms of gap integrity, wrapping up in space, uh, taking care of your assignments, those kids at the second level have the ability to do that. Now, having said that, on the road, Against the option, Will Worth playing very well at quarterback. I like Navy, but to me, for fans who might gravitate towards a different game at 12 o'clock, this is one you shouldn't miss. Yeah, when we come back, we'll touch on Alabama and Mississippi State. We have Robert Edwards coming up next. Keep it where it is. This is Joe Lisi, Ritz Sermonello, Fantasy Sports Radio Network, live from the Big Apple, coming right back. Back on College Football Game Day right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. A couple of other 12 o'clock games in the Big 12, Rich. West Virginia and Texas. Texas playing very well with back-to-back wins now over Texas Tech and Baylor two weeks ago. West Virginia, are they still emotionally involved after that disappointing loss two weeks ago to Oklahoma State? They knocked off Kansas in dominating fashion last week. But this is a big game for both teams. I like Charlie Strong and Texas to run the football. NCAA leading rusher Dante Foreman, he's pounding the rock, Rich. 4-14 last week against Texas Tech. Love the offensive line play of Texas entering this battle. Yeah, listen, I agree with your assessment across the board. I I think in terms of sheer interest and fascination, I'm going to be riveted to this game as much as anything other than maybe USC-Washington because I'm curious if Texas is finally going to build on a little bit of momentum, number one. To your point about West Virginia, can they get back into this Big 12 race? Obviously, mathematically, they're there but not necessarily playing as well as Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. Dante Foreman, I think the kid has to be at least on the periphery of the Heisman discussion at this point. I know the Big 12 doesn't play any defense, 
but this kid has been an absolute locomotive off the tracks when he gets between the tackles. So I, I, it's a great game. I, I have a Texas 33, West Virginia 30. I think it could be the most entertaining uh, game of the afternoon. Yeah, I think Texas win this, wins this game by double digits. And I equate Texas. We're both finance guys, former finance guys. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing about Texas. I look at them as breaking out of the charts. I mean, one week up, one week down. One week up, one week yeah. down. Sort of consolidation, as they say in stock picking. Right now, you break out with back-to-back wins. Does that momentum continue? For me, I think it does because this is what it's all about: building momentum at the end of the year. And the offensive line continuity for me is very important. And then I give the edge of the coaching advantage, Charlie Strong over Dana Holgerson. Sorry, do not like Dana Holgerson in a big spot in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, and to your point about the offensive line, I mean, Connor Williams has been, as a true sophomore, phenomenal. I mean, he's been borderline All-American caliber in terms of his blocking ability, both pass protection uh, and run blocking for Dante Foreman. A lot is going to hinge on Shane Bouchelle. I, I mean, as, as teams begin to put you know, seven or eight in the box to stop Foreman, Bouchelle is going to have to connect downfield, so I'll be watching him closely in the 12 o'clock game. When we come back, we'll touch on Baylor and Oklahoma. We're just getting started. Week number 11 right here on Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Joe Lisi, Rich Terminello. Keep it where it is. We're coming right back. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Back on College Football Game Day right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network in New York City. When Rich and I left off, we were talking about the 12 o'clock game between number one, Alabama, and the gutty crew led by Dan Mullen. Upset victory over Texas A&M last week in Starkville. Mississippi State. This is an intriguing battle, Rich. You look at the battle since uh, 2011. Alabama's won five straight. They're 5-0 and by 18 points per game. But I have a hunch this game's going to be a lot closer than people think in about an hour and 28 minutes today. Listen, if you're saying take the points, I agree with you. I would take the points only because Alabama coming off of LSU, they, it's a Nick Saban team. I know he always has his kids ready. They're uber talented, but they have to be a little bit down for this game. And on the flip side, you know, Mississippi State, yeah, they had the big win against Texas a but I think they're confident. And I don't expect a lot out of their offense, Joe, but I think it's important to point out their, their sophomore quarterback, Nick Fitzgerald, had a breakout performance against Texas A&M. I, he's obviously the future in Starkville. I've talked to some scouts who have said, young, long way to go, but in terms of potential, could have more upside than Dak Prescott, which is saying a lot. Yeah, very uh, great point there about Nick Fitzgerald overall because uh, when you look at him, that game against BYU for me was the turning point. They lost that battle 28-21, to but he played very, very well in the system and really had his team in a position to win that ball game over the Cougars. They lost that game in double overtime. Here's the one thing I look at when I look at Mississippi State overall. They were they lost this matchup 31-6 to last year in Starkville. Alabama sacked Dak Prescott nine times. I mean, they could not get offensive continuity in that ball game. Uh, but I think they have playmakers. We're going to hold off, though, on this analysis because we're joined with uh, one of my favorite Bulldogs of all time. What better way to talk, Rich, about the SEC's oldest rivalry game, 119 times, Auburn and Georgia. 
Then with a former Bulldog, he's live on the Progressive Celebrity Hotline. I want to welcome in former Georgia Bulldog running back and former number one draft pick of the New England Patriots, Robert Edwards. Robert, how are you today? Hey, how you doing? Doing well, Robert. Robert, tell the fans what this matchup means for Georgia Bulldog players. And and being from that area, the the SEC's oldest rivalry game, I mean, it doesn't get better than this. Auburn and Georgia. Well, I tell you, you can throw the the, the standing record out of the window. It doesn't matter what your record is right now. It doesn't matter what your standing is. Uh, This is a game that's, you know, fought from the heart. Um, and, you know, it's, it's usually a hard-fought game. You, you never know who's going to win it. But, you know, I'm, I'm banking on Georgia coming off of the win last week with confidence that they can come in and uh, and get this win for the Bulldogs. Robert, Rich Sermonello, uh, can you give me your assessment as a Bulldog? What do you think about Kirby Smart's first year, how this team has been coming along through the first couple of months of the season? Well, I, I kind of figured it would be some – up some uh, ups and downs. Uh, I look at it similar to the year when Coach Dunn came to the Bulldogs when I was there. And uh, Kirby was there, a part of that. And we had an up and down year, his first year. But we got it together that following year because you got to feel the coaches out. The coaches kind of feel you out. And you got to understand what uh, what each want from each other. So I think that uh, Kirby's going to get it right. I think it's a trial and error this year figuring out what players uh, fix his system. And uh, I think he'll be fine going into next year. I think he's going to finish this year out strong, actually. Robert, you battled injuries throughout your career in college, but you had a you really got well in 1997 with a breakthrough year, your best year that led you to number one draft pick in the NFL, a dominating year in the SEC. When you look at running back Nick Chubb, who's coming off the ACL injury, still hasn't been himself this year. What have you seen out of his play that really could give Bulldog fans optimism that he is the player from 2014? Well, I just think it, it usually takes a year. You know, being a guy that went through injury, that first year is a little timid. You gradually get better. But that following year with the full year of off-season training and workout, uh, I think he'll be even better coming into next year. Um, I think he had to feel his way, you know, work through that injury, work the muscles that he had used over a year. Um, and, you know, I think he's going to finish the year strong. I think that you're going to see the confidence continue to build. The more games he plays, the more touches he gets. And I think next year he's uh, he's going to be the player that everybody grew to love. So I look forward to Nick. You know, I talk to Nick all the time and try to uh, help him work through his injuries, uh, kept his confidence up, and uh, gave him advice when he needed it. So I think that he's going to be the player that everybody loves um, if he decides to stay with the Bulldogs this year. Robert, let's talk about uh, Jacob Eason, obviously franchise uh, of the organization, uh, future behind center. How important is this final stage of the regular season to Jacob as we look ahead towards 2017? I think it's very important. I mean, you know, he's a freshman, and he's had some freshman games, but I think the more reps he get, um, he's going to continue to grow to get the confidence and trust the players, and then he's going to uh, – start to mess with some of the receivers and know what receivers can do what, the speed, the tempo that he needs from those guys. Uh, he reminds me of uh, Peyton Manning. 
when he was at Tennessee, you know, he had up and down freshman year, but the more he was in the system, he he started the system start to form to the type of player he was. And I think Easton's going to be that kind of guy. I think next year uh, he's going to be even more mature in the, in the offense, and he's going to be able to command um, that team on the offensive side of the ball and, and do what he wants. And I think before he leaves, he'll probably be calling his own plays out there on the football field like Peyton was. Robert, when I talked to Corey, and I, I thought it was absolutely imperative that K- Kirby Smart had to start Jacob Eason this year to go through the growing pains because of the expectations at Georgia with what was there with Mark Richt. Every year it was 10-3, and three, constant success, but couldn't take it to the next level. If he went with Grayson Lambert this year and the team went 10-3, and three, there'd be a lot of pressure on Jacob Eason in year number two, whether he was redshirted or played sparingly to really perform and, and bring the team a national championship. So do you see this as growing pains to really get through Kirby Smart's first year where next year the, the team will just be like an oil machine because they understand this philosophy? Yeah, I, I, I agree with everything you just said. I think Eason, uh, I think Kirby did the right thing by, you know, getting Eason in there his first year. They go through the growing pains together and they grow together and then, and then Kirby can kind of put his stamp on on this Bulldogs team. So, uh, and and that's exactly what's happened. You, you, you've seen flashes of Eason of, of greatness, and then you see him play like a freshman. So, um, I think they both had to go through the growing pains. I think Kirby had to get his feet wet, understand of being the head coach because it's totally different than running the ship than being just a defensive coordinator. So, um, I think it all worked hand in hand. You you want to have a leader on the team. Uh, that's going to command the team, and the, and the team's going to want to follow. I think Eason's the guy. Um, you don't want him to have had to sit a year and then uh, come in his sophomore year and have these same problems next year, and now we into Kirby's second year. So I think that uh, he made the right decision, uh, and I think he's going to benefit from that decision. Robert, defensively, I think the D hasn't gotten enough credit uh, doing a good job against the run. Trenton Thompson in the middle, linebackers uh, playing well, playing with good range. Uh, can they stop the Auburn running game, which obviously has a couple of backs that uh, I don't know how far under 100%, but they're not 100% this afternoon? Well, I think so. I mean, uh, we have some very athletic linebackers um, that can run with their, their running backs. Uh, running back, I mean, Auburn doesn't have a, a, a barn burner. Uh, back there in their backfield, they just have steady guys that can that can pound it and and break when they need to break it, but they don't have any like tremendous speed in their backfield. So, I think that uh, Georgia can hold their own. Uh, you know, I think Kirby's gonna scheme and let them know how important this game is. And like I said at the beginning of the interview, it really don't matter what your record is or or, or what's going on um, with your team at the time. This is the oldest uh, rivalry game and. Anything can happen. I've been a part of it. I've seen it. I saw it. My brother go through it, uh, you know, and just following Georgia football. And I had a friend play with uh, Auburn with Keo Spike. So anything can happen. No matter who you think is going to win, you can throw all the predictions out of the window. This is usually a fun game. And uh, and you never can tell who's going to come out. We'll take a quick break. Stay with us, Robert. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, Fantasy Sports Radio Network.
back on College Football Game Day. When Rich and I left off, we were talking about the Big 12. Rich likes Texas in a close game, 33-30 to over West Virginia. I think it's double digits, but now we're going to turn our attention to the other big game, Baylor and Oklahoma. Rich, this is a, a, a reeling Baylor team under Jim Grobe. Shock Linwood out for this battle. Uh, disciplinary actions. It just keeps getting worse and worse for the Baylor Bears. Yeah, I, I think you could pull out the toe tag at this point. I, I, I'm, I would be surprised if Baylor has a pulse at the end of the season because of the off-field issues. On-field, a tremendous amount of talent on both sides of the ball. That's not the problem. But you have a coach who might be there on an interim basis. You have a team that is playing poorly, back-to-back losses, absolutely ambushed by an average TCU team last week, 62-22. to Now they go into Norman struggling against the run with Samaj P. Ryan coming back from injury, Joe Mixon coming back from suspension. I, listen, this has the looks of a bloodbath uh, at Oklahoma today. What's interesting is two years ago, Baylor walked into Norman and beat up on Oklahoma, so don't think that Bob Stoops doesn't have that on his plate in this battle. The one thing, if you're going to say, does Baylor have a shot, they have to attack Oklahoma secondary mm-hmm. that's given up 297 yards per game, and that's down after last week's performance. So, again, when I look at this battle, I just think that Oklahoma has way, way too many weapons, and i just not sure where the mindset is of this team. Right. We said their, their October and September schedules, yeah, Baylor would walk through it because they didn't play anybody really outside of Oklahoma State. Outside of that, once adversity kicked in, what would happen with this team? And we're starting to see it now. Yeah, yeah, and we are. And you brought up Linwood. To me, you know, Shock is an important part of that offense and a terrific running back. They have other backs. That's not necessarily an issue. But that might be emblematic of what is taking place in the locker room. That's my big concern. Joe, I would be really surprised if this is competitive in the second half, considering how well Oklahoma is playing offensively. And they've been better defensively. Not great but better defensively. So I think this one is over in the second. You could see the backup Sooners uh, by the end of the third quarter. I'd be shocked, too, just because of what we stated. I like Oklahoma. Rich likes Oklahoma. When we come back, we'll break down the other games. You look at statistics in this battle. Oklahoma averaging 44 points per game, giving up 31 points. Baylor averaging 39 points as well. Their defense a little bit better, 25 points per game to opposing offenses. When we come back, we'll break down the big Big Ten and the SEC, Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Back on College Football Game Day right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. We're live on the Progressive Celebrity Hotline with former Georgia Bulldog running back and number one draft pick of the New England Patriots in 1998, Robert Edwards. Robert, before you go, talk to me about playing in the SEC's first overtime game in the SEC's oldest rivalry game back in 1996. It was a dominating overtime performance by you to pull out that victory. Yeah, uh, and much of like, that season was much of like what Kirby's going through. It was an up and down year uh, with Coach Donnan's first year, and, uh, uh, you know, all of them was pretty much picked to, to beat us, and they was uh, up a whole lot. We were able to come back, and, you know, um, Corey Allen was able to make a, a, a tremendous catch at the end of the game to send us to overtime, and I actually got benched that game. Uh, me and Bobo actually for our play during that season because we were so up and down. Uh, but we was able to come through in the overtime. Uh, they called plays for me that 
uh, the offensive line was able to get out in front of me and block. And, man, it was a great play call. I was able to get in the end zone a couple times, I think three times. And we were able to stop Craig from getting the first down and win that game. And that's a great example of how seasons can go. And it doesn't matter what kind of season you're having. That game is always up in the air. Uh, just who wants it bad enough and who who makes the least mistakes and who makes the most big plays. So uh, that's kind of the season that uh, Kirby's had this year. So we're hoping that he can carry on on what he did last weekend and bring Georgia a victory home. Robert, it's always a pleasure. Great information. We hope you enjoyed it today. I mean, you're the only player in NFL and CFL history to rush for 1,000 yards in your career. You're the only player to do it, and you're my favorite Bulldog. We hope you enjoyed it today. (laughs) I appreciate you having me, Joe. Always a pleasure. That was former big play Georgia Bulldog running back, Rich. Robert Edwards loved the way he plays. He was a converted defensive back from 1994 and they made the switch under Ray Goff. I think it was Joe Lee Kine said that was the last time they'd see Robert Edwards on the defensive side of the ball. You know, and I love any story of perseverance. Obviously, Robert uh, Edwards uh, showed throughout his career, both on the college and the pro level, that he'd battle back from injuries. Nothing was going to hold him back. And I think he could be an example, not just for young Bulldogs, but obviously any young college player of what's possible when you refuse to quit. So I'm happy we had him on today. Great information. We'll break down that game a little bit later in the second hour because it is a 3.30 start. I want to continue our coverage about the Alabama-Mississippi State game. I think this team, Mississippi State, after their victory over fourth-ranked Texas A&M, I mean, Texas A&M came out flat, but again, they won that game. Mississippi State did on both sides, offensive and defensive lines, outworked Texas A&M. I just feel they'll be loose into this battle. They Everybody's expecting them to lose, so why not throw caution to the wind? You're 30-point underdogs, I mean, and it's a 12 o'clock kick after LSU. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think confidence is a key factor. Uh, Dan Mullen has a young team, uh, has a team that wasn't sure heading into the last week if they can compete this year at a high level in the SEC West. Now they know that they can. My concern in terms of keeping this competitive in the second half is the defense, Joe. Played very well last week, but if you look at the two prior games, they struggled badly, and at some point, Jalen Hurts is going to break off runs and really break the spirit of that Bulldog defense. Yeah, I think this game, I I said within 17 points, Rich. I see like 34-17. I don't think Alabama puts up 40-48. Calvin Ridley's battling a knee injury as well. He is probable in this battle. Keep an eye out for that. I mean, do do they want to rest up? They have Auburn in two weeks as well, Mm -hmm. so keep that in mind because that'll really dictate whether they make the SEC championship, whether they make the uh, the playoff, has a lot of implications, that Auburn game, especially if Auburn beats Georgia today. Yeah, and, and that's a good point, too. I'm always looking at what's behind you and what's ahead. LSU is behind Alabama. Auburn up ahead in a couple of weeks. I think that could weigh heavy on Alabama's mind. Mississippi State scoring will be a problem. I have this game 38-14. to 14. I do believe Mississippi State covers... But again, I question how deep into the game they can keep it competitive. Yeah, we'll see how that plays out. It is an early kick. Keep an eye out. ABC, 12 o'clock in about an hour and eight minutes. So uh, we'll see how that game plays out for Nick Saban and the crew. Number one in the country, 9-0 overall. Coming off a 10-to-zip victory in Baton Rouge last weekend. Let's stay in the SEC because we'll be joined at 11 o'clock by Corey Allen. Intriguing battle in the SEC East, Florida and South Carolina. 
Florida now, after that, you called it, after that disappointing road loss to Arkansas, really has to battle just to win the SEC East. They were in the driver's seat, and they're going to be facing their former coach, who's now the head coach at South Carolina, at around 12 o'clock later today. Yeah, that to me is one of the more interesting storylines. You know, Will Muschamp, obviously everybody knows, was the head coach at Florida, unsuccessful at the end of his tenure, got fired, uh, got the job at South Carolina, and now has the Gamecocks playing very well. I would say maybe as well as anyone in the SEC East, just 5-4, and four, but ever since they inserted the true freshman quarterback, Jake Bentley, into the lineup, last three games... All wins, two touchdowns, no interceptions, playing with a lot of poise. Now he gets the biggest test of his young career against that Florida defense. Yeah, and that's the matchup that I want to keep an eye out for because it's it's Quincy Wilson, it's Jalen Tabor in that mm-hmm. secondary mixing up coverages to force Bentley to make his reads and progressions. For me, that's what this game comes down to. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I mean, listen, if the kid is successful and leads this team to a victory, that would be just a, a monumental step for the South Carolina program in Muschamp's first year. I don't think it happens. I think he's too young. I think the defense is too good. But look at the other side of the ball. You know, his counterpart on the other side is now going to be Austin Appleby. Luke, Luke Del Rio, for the second time this year, is out at quarterback. Appleby is an average former transfer from Purdue. So I think Florida's going to have trouble scoring in this game as well. Yeah, it could be a low-scoring game. Florida allowing 147 passing yards to opposing offenses. When we come back, we'll be joined by our SEC insider, Corey Allen. We'll break this game down in Tennessee, Kentucky. Keep it where it is. This is Joe Lisi, Ritz Sermonello, live from the Big Apple Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Live from right here in the Big Apple College Football Game Day on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Rich, do you know the last time Notre Dame lost to both Navy and Army in the same year? Probably before my birth, I'm thinking. <laughs> 1944. I, I Definitely a, before my birth. <laughs> I thought, well, you look a little older. No, 1944, Rich. That's the last time. Now, yeah. granted, they haven't played each and every year. But again... I mean, that's a a long, long time. You look at this matchup, I love Army here. I love Army here. And it's not just for the triple option, Rich. It's their defense. Their secondary giving up 166 passing yards per game. They're only allowing 114 yards on the ground. And their defense is playing physical style of football. Where's Notre Dame's mindset going to be in this ballgame? They have nothing to play for but pride. But but that's the problem here. The Army, 5-4 and overall, playing for much more. They're looking to become bold eligible today. Uh, Coach Monken, that would be an enormous, enormous step for Army. For years, this uh, academy has been trying to keep up with Navy and Air Force, perennial teams in the postseason. Army has a chance to join them today while beating Notre Dame, so it, it would be an epic victory. To your point about the defense, a couple of linebackers that folks probably haven't paid attention to but should, Andrew King, Jeremy Timpf, do a tremendous job of reading and reacting and defending the run. To your other point, I, I, I can't bet against Notre Dame again, even though I had them beating Navy last week. But I don't know where their heads are either. I don't know where Brian Kelly is. I don't know what Deshaun Kaiser is thinking at this point. Clearly have the edge and talent, as you know, Joe. 
but I don't know what their motivation level is going to be like today in what I believe is San Antonio is where they'll be playing that game with Army. It's incredible because Notre Dame cannot run the football consistently. 149 yards on the ground. That's put pressure on the offensive line and, more importantly, Deshaun Kaiser. So... I didn't like the way they played last week. I think mm-hmm. uh, uh, he made a poor decision kicking the field goal at the end. And, again, I, I, I don't see this team responding under Brian Kelly is, is my main concern. Yeah, and I wonder to what extent that's going to affect Brian Kelly's future. I mean, I'm a little dumbfounded right now as to what to expect in 2017. I, I think I think Notre Dame stands pat. I think they give him another shot in 2017. But if the wheels come completely off, including today against Army, that, uh, that certainly could change the course uh, a year from now. Yeah, we'll see. We'll come right back. We'll take a quick break. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, Fantasy Sports Radio Network, live from New York. This is SB Nation Radio. The next generation of sports radio. Kelly's going to run right. He hits the goal line. Does he break the plane? He does! Touchdown! Ole Miss! This is college football game day. Peppers is in the shotgun. He takes the snap. He runs to the left. It's a sweep. He's to the four, to the three. He's in. Touchdown, Michigan! Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Back on college football game day right here from the Big Apple Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Some big games in the SEC East, Tennessee and Kentucky, South Carolina and Florida. And later tonight in the West, LSU and Arkansas. What better way to talk SEC football than with our SEC insider? He's live on the Progressive Celebrity Hotline. Want to welcome in former Georgia wide receiver Corey Allen. Corey, how are you today? Hey, Joe, this is one of the better times of the season, I promise you. Right now, everything is pretty much in front of all the teams who want to have success. All these SEC games are going to continue to lead us down the path of someone making this playoff scenario and hopefully reaching a national championship game. So uh, things have dwindled down a lot. A lot of exciting football, and the players really right now, Joe, are making statements to see who's going to take that next step trying to win a championship. Do you really feel, in your opinion, when I look at this battle, South Carolina and Florida, do you really feel, I feel that Florida still is the creme de la creme of the East, even though they lost last week on the road in Fayetteville. Do you feel that, though, South Carolina could possibly be a better team than those th- the others that I mentioned playing at 12 o'clock today? i tell you what, South Carolina has one thing that they can lean on, and they have nothing to lose. That's their primary objective right now, playing all out, letting their fans know that they're committed, and letting Coach Will Muschamp see that these players are going to go to the limit for him. I think this battle against the Florida Gators is going to be an important one, not just because Florida can continue to make its track to the Georgia Dome and the SEC Championship potentially, but because the South Carolina Gamecocks aren't going to quit they are not going to lay down. They've got a lot of talented guys on that team, Joe, and I think they're willing and ready to step up, but they cannot fall behind early because of the momentum that the Gators bring will snowball in a hurry. Hey, Corey, it's Rich. Uh, it's kind of funny. Uh, South Carolina began the year with a true freshman quarterback in Brandon McIlwain from Pennsylvania. It's going to finish the season with a true freshman quarterback, but not McIlwain and Jake Bentley. What, what are the challenges that a first-year quarterback will face in going up against that, that nasty Florida defense? <laughs> well, he'll, he'll understand what it's like to play against an SEC defense real quickly. That Florida defense is going to do their, their job creating pressure and trying to put Bentley in a position where he's not comfortable. They have to do what they can when I speak about the Florida Gators. They're going to do everything that they can 
to show different looks on defense, to apply pressure from the edge and from the middle. So as a quarterback, as a young quarterback going through these transitions, this is a very difficult time because you got to keep your head and your wherewith about you, but you cannot allow that pressure to force you into making mistakes. So this is an important game for a young quarterback because you're going to learn a lot, but you would hate to do so making a bunch of mistakes and causing your team to lose. Corey, the other game at 12 o'clock that has the SEC East implications is Kentucky and Tennessee. Kentucky with a disappointing loss against Georgia, 27-24. to Tennessee back in the driver's seat, but again, this team to back into a possible SEC East title is not the way Butch Jones wanted to do it at the start of the season, and I'm not sold on their defense, giving up 197 rushing yards on the ground. To me, this is a very difficult battle for the Volunteers, even though they're at home. I like Kentucky's chances today. Give me your thoughts. Kentucky has a fighter's chance. They're licking their wounds after a tough loss to the Georgia Bulldogs at home last week. So they're going to come out really chomping at the bit, trying to make sure that they take advantage of a chance against a Tennessee volunteer team that's really trying to find their way back into the fold. I think Coach Butch Jones is going to take whatever he can as far as any victory right now. It doesn't matter how he gets to the Dome as long as he gets there, Joe. That's really his team's goal. That was their goal from the beginning, and they still have that in front of them. Josh Dobbs is going to have to play a key role if Tennessee is going to continue to find success because Kentucky is strong, they're formidable, and they're really anxious to get after it. Corey, if, if Tennessee loses this game, I mean, there's there's been a buzz now about Butch Jones. Is he kind of flirting with the hot seat if this team sort of limps to the finish line? As a former player... Do players pay attention? Do they even know what's going on in terms of the job security of their coaching staff? Players have a little bit of of knowledge about what's going on, but to be completely honest with you, Rich, they don't pay very much attention to it because speculation happens all throughout the season. Your coach may be on the hot seat two of your four years while you're playing, so you cannot play or pay close attention to what speculation to the coach's job might be. Their best bet is to go out each day and work hard and go out each Saturday and compete at a high level to make sure Butch Jones keeps that job. The players really don't have a role to play in the coaches, so they have to focus on what they can do on the field. This is the guy who brought them in, so they should want him to be there. Tough game for them. they got to show it on the field this Saturday. Corey, the big battle in the SEC West tonight, there's two of them, Texas A&M and Ole Miss, but LSU, Arkansas, you called it. You thought Alabama would prevail last week. Arkansas with the upset victory. Where do you feel the mindset is of LSU? I think that's the one thing everybody wants to know. Back-to-back years now, Arkansas has defeated LSU by 17 points per game. In your opinion, do you feel Leonard Fournette and the crew can rebound tonight on the road? They're going to have to rebound tonight. They're going to have to do what they can to make sure that the LSU faithful, the fans, and that coaching staff know that they're willing to fight until the end. This is a a tough game because it's a close, uh, hard-fought rivalry game. These teams match up very well because they like to play in the box and take advantage of play action. But you have to have great quarterback play to do so. So LSU right now, they're going to take a back seat to Austin Allen at the quarterback position because Arkansas is better than LSU right now. Leonard Fournette and Darius Geis are going to have to step up. The rushing attack is going to have to carry the, the Tigers. This is going to be a, an imperative game if they even want to have Ed Orgeron's name mentioned as a potential candidate. LSU Tigers are going to have to step up against Arkansas. Corey, you mentioned uh, Austin Allen, a quarterback who's really had a breakout sophomore season. What does he have to do to solve that LSU secondary, which might be one of the two or three best in the country? 
His best bet, in my opinion, Rich, is to test those linebackers in the passing game. He should not play uh, too much with those corners because LSU's corners like to squat. They like to sit, and they're going to jump those short routes, but they're fast enough to do so. They're going to play that deep ball well with the safeties. Austin Allen's best opportunity is to try to use the tight end position and the running back. They've got a plethora of running backs in Arkansas to find ways in the passing game, in the short passing game, to open up that box that LSU defense is going to try to force you to run into. So I think Austin Allen, because he has the experience of the season and last year, I think he's ready for the challenge. It's an important game. Converting on third down, especially with the short pass, is going to be imperative because LSU will force you into long yardage situations. The defensive ends will pin their heels back, and those uh, those corners can pick you off and take it to the house. Corey, we would not have you on the show talking about the SEC East and the SEC West without talking about a rivalry that's very dear to you and having one of the most memorable moments in Georgia history. Talk about what the SEC's oldest rivalry means to you, Georgia and Auburn, and more importantly, that touchdown reception in 1996. Well, I tell you what, Joe, I appreciate you bringing it up. Every year I get a chance to be a celebrity for one week, and 20 years ago today I was uh, playing for Jim Dinah. We were playing against Coach Bowden. Uh, my, co- my quarterback was Mike Bobo, Heinz Ward, and Robert Edwards at the skill spot. We had a great time that day against Damian Craig, Takeo Spikes, a guy like Robert Baker at wide receiver. I know a lot of players on both sides of the field, so it's an emotional time. It's a true rivalry. It's the Deep South's oldest rivalry played between the hedges this year. So an anxious game for the Bulldogs and the Tigers. Uh, Coach Kirby Smart knows better than anybody what's at stake. Coach Malzahn has a team that's chomping at the bit. So this is a game, Joe, that we really are excited about every season, uh, regardless of where it's played. It's going to be a competitive battle. And uh, I don't want to talk too much about it, but I can go all day, Joe, because I tell you what, it's on the line, and we got to make some decisions early if we want to stop the Tigers. Do those memories ever fade for you, Corey, or do they get better over time? I promise you, Rich, they get better as each year goes by. If you ask me, that touchdown catch I made gets a yard longer every season. (laughs) It gets a little bit tougher every year. So I have to carry it with me, and a lot of the Georgia faithful will not let me forget, and that's what I love about it. This is the the, the best thing, if you ask me, about college football is the pageantry. So if you can have your name tied to – one of the legacy moments that that school is going to hold dear, then you're going to live with that forever in a good way. And I think that's something that I've had a chance to carry for these last 20 years, and I'm anxious to see what these young Bulldogs do to get their name etched into the record books because it's going to be a competitive battle. Most of these kids played against each other or with each other in high school, so anxious times for both teams, and I'm hoping my dogs come out and really put up a good fight even though they're the underdogs. Corey, it's always a pleasure. You love the the Bulldogs through and through. We love to have you on next week. We love the inf- insight and information. Go enjoy the game today. Hey, Joe and Rich, thanks for having me, fellas. Go dogs and have a good one. That was former big play wide receiver Corey Allen of the Georgia Bulldogs. Most memorable moment in Georgia history, 1996. When we come back, Rich and I will go rapid fire with these SEC East games. Keep it where it is. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Back on College Football Game Day, when Rich and I left off, we were talking Army and Notre Dame. Rich, I'm calling for the upset today. I like the cadets to knock off Notre Dame. Do not like the mindset. Which way are you going in this matchup? 
You know, I'll stick with Notre Dame one more time. I just think the the talent gap is substantial enough. I don't have high expectations for Brian Kelly or the program right now in South Bend, but I just think they're better on both sides of the ball, so I'll take Notre Dame one more time. Here's an intriguing battle in the ACC, Miami and Virginia. It's a weird time, 2 o'clock kick. Something tells me, I mean, Miami won last year 27-21. to 21. Since 2012, the teams have alternated victories. I like the Cavaliers, the way they've been playing at home. Lost two weeks ago to Louisville by seven. They lost by seven to a solid Wake Forest team. Last week, 27-20. to 20. I think they give Miami all they can handle in Charlottesville later today. Yeah, I think it'll be competitive because Bronco Mendenhall finally has the team headed in the right direction. Uh, Kurt Banker, the quarterback, has had stops and starts. He could be good. He could not be good. But I like the defense of Virginia led by Micah Kaiser. However, I'm going to go with Miami simply because they finally got off the schneid. One big last week against Pitt, 51-28, to thinking that momentum will carry this week into the Virginia game. We shall see. Here's an intriguing battle. It's Wisconsin and Illinois now. West Lunt is out. Out for this battle, Jeff George Jr. will get the start. Since 2011, Wisconsin has dominated the series 5-0 and by 14 points per game. Every time I think, I, even though I like Wisconsin against Northwestern, something tells me that they're going to dominate this ball game. I just think they're more physical on the offense and defensive lines. And even though Illinois playing better... And they got the victory. I, I just don't. I, I just don't see it this this yeah. this weekend against Wisconsin. I think they get blown out today. Joe, I thought the letdown might come last week against Northwestern. I was wrong. Wisconsin is just mentally tough, physically tough. They now can smell that Big Ten West division title, which they needed help. They got it with Nebraska's loss last week, and now I think they forge ahead. Illinois has not much to play for. A staff that's not doing a great job, led by Lovey Smith. I agree with you. I think Wisconsin rolls. Although they got that victory against Michigan State, we have to see how this team, I mean, it's unreal that they got that victory, but we'll break down the Big Ten and the SEC next. Keep it where it is. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, right here from the Big Apple, New York City. Nothing better. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Back on College Football Game Day, right here live from the Big Apple Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Rich and I are just going to give our predictions for the SEC games. Kentucky and Tennessee. Rich, I'm calling for the upset here. Tennessee's defense allowing 197 rushing yards on the ground. I know Kamara comes back. To me, it doesn't matter. And Kentucky coming off 186 rushing yard performance last week against Georgia. I think they get this victory on the road in Neyland Stadium later today. Mark Stoops has been a horrible second-half <laughs> coach during his tenure in Lexington. I, I think last week's loss really haunts this Wildcat team. They lose. It's going to take next week against Austin P before they become bowl eligible. Well, we'll see how it plays out, but I don't want to hear from Tennessee fans. If they backdoor this uh, SEC East title, I do not want to hear this was a successful season because expectations were a national championship, a, an 11-1 season. This is not the way you drew it up in August, so I'll just say that before we move on to South Carolina and Florida, Rich. I mean, am I wrong about that statement? 
No, but I listen. I think I think those of us in the media deserve a little bit of the blame. I, I think it's possible that we set the bar too high, and, and I'll say we from a cumulative standpoint of expecting that Tennessee was going to contend for an SEC championship. They're just not there, and I think we uh, we bear some of that blame. Well, I said they were overrated. I spoke out in Vegas. I said they were the one of the most overrated teams. They had 17 starters back, but I'll yep. just leave it at this. Josh Jobs prior to this year never had a significant SEC victory under his resume and till this day I'm sorry I don't count that Hail Mary victory as a pull as a, as a, mm-hmm. a quality road victory yeah. for Josh Dobbs I'm sorry do you agree Listen, with that No I no, I I totally agree with you there, there was uh, there was fortune and fate that was involved with it but I think next year Butch Jones if you're listening please have have some time with Joe Lisi let him set you straight before you head into 2017. <laughs> I love the volunteers I have many friends that are volunteers I can go through the list I mean I grew up I, I love Floyd I have Miley. friends that are volunteers I, well, I'm not uh, even Charles going Davis there. Davis has been on the show Aaron Hayden's been on the show JJ McCleskey I mean the list goes on and on but, but back then in the mid 90s under Johnny Majors there, this they played with physicality. They played with heart. They, I mean, they overcame adversity. I don't see that from this group. I'm sorry. I think this I just is a fa- it's a fascinating game. I love I love evaluating CEOs. Uh, you mentioned we were former finance guys. I love evaluating CEOs and coaches. This battle, the importance between Butch Jones and Mark Stoops, cannot be overstated. This is a critical game for the futures of both of these coaching staffs. Yeah, I like I like Kentucky to get the victory, uh, upset victory on the road in Neyland Stadium. Not sold on the physicality on the defensive side of the mm-hmm. ball. We'll leave it at that. Let's go yep. to South Carolina, Florida. I mean, the one X factor for me is how bad does Will Muschamp want this game? He'll, oh, yeah. I mean, if he could go out there and put on a helmet, I'm sure mm-hmm. he would do it. The one thing I look at is the secondary that's only given up 147 yards per game. And Jim McElwain is an offensive genius that will look to exploit the deficiencies of South Carolina's defensive front. Seven, that's given up 196 yards on the ground as well. So I think Florida can run the football today. Yeah, and South Carolina's been getting better defensively. I don't know if McIlwain has the tools to really uh, uh, to really sort of orchestrate the plan that he wants offensively, led by Austin Appleby. I think Florida wins 23-13. to I think it'll be closer than Vegas expects. I don't know what to expect from Jake Bentley, but I'm always fascinated by young quarterbacks. One of the young faces, not just of South Carolina, but possibly of the SEC, which really needs quarterbacks going forward. Yeah, I see uh, Florida winning this battle 30-10. to 10. I think it is low scoring, and I think uh, Florida starts fast, uh, scores first, puts the pressure on Bentley and that offense to respond, and I don't see it happening in the swamp earlier in about 40 minutes from uh, right now. Florida gets a convincing victory. Here's one of my – I really feel – LSU dominates this game tonight. I know Arkansas has won back-to-back the last two years by 17 points per game right after LSU played Alabama. But I look at this defensive front seven by Arkansas that's given up 198 yards on the ground, and I look at the fact that even though they're rushing the football for 167 yards per game, Arkansas, they're not up over 200. I think Arden Key in that defensive front seven will make them one-dimensional and people are playing for draft status now, like Leonard Fournette, and like Danny Etling, who maybe is a free agent quarterback. I mean, expect these guys to be focused, and it all wants the job. LSU dominates 45-24 in Fayetteville later tonight. You and I are on the same page on this one. I, I liked Arkansas last week, but I don't think there's enough consistency. If we go back just a, a few weeks prior to their break, 
Uh, they got hammered on the defensive side of the ball. You mentioned the front seven, which has struggled against the run this year. I think they'll have problems again this week. Now, if Les Miles was still the coach, I'd say, I don't know, maybe maybe LSU is down after the 10 nothing loss. But, but Ed Orgeron is a tremendous motivator. He has something at stake, potentially, in how well LSU finishes. So I think they bounce back very quickly from last week's loss, and I agree that they dominate Arkansas this evening. And here's the thing when I look at the Ed O uh, factor, right? Because last week people said we didn't see anything different than what Les Miles did against Alabama. So now he realizes that. The offense mm-hmm. realizes that, and they have to get their playmakers. Malachi Dupree, Traven Dural, 51 receptions total combined, three touchdowns. Yeah. I mean, that's unreal when you think about both of those players' athleticisms, athleticism and their ability to take the top off the defense. I don't care if you don't complete the pass. You have to challenge the secondary deep to open up those running lanes for Geis and Fournette later in the matchup. And that was the problem under Les Miles and Cam Cameron is the fact that they they were unable to not only develop quarterbacks, but utilize the speed that they have on the outside. Top end receivers have never been a problem at LSU, and it's not a problem today. And all it's going to take is a couple of early connections from Etling to someone like Doral or Dupree. And then all of a sudden, you open up the running game for Fournette and Geis. So I agree. Arkansas is a flawed and inconsistent team. I think that's what we see this evening. And here's the thing. You have guys like Geis and Fournette. How about utilizing the short to intermediate passing game and screens? The way you neutralize a pass rush is you, you hit them in the flat and, and challenge them on the outside of the perimeter. They haven't done this this year, and I can't understand why with the playmakers that they have. You could utilize Darius Geis in the slot, have him uh, matched up on a nickelback or a, a linebacker just to loosen up base defenses, and they continue to just run an eye-set formation with a fullback most of the time or just put Leonard Fournette or Geis in a one-back set. Why not spread it out to run the football? I don't understand it. Yeah, and I think questions like that are the reason why you know LSU is in the position they are right now. That they're five and three, and probably looking for a new head coach, and in all likelihood looking for a coach with an offensive bent, with a little bit of offensive ingenuity. Because again, they get elite talent down in that section of the country, but on the offensive side of the ball, they just fail to maximize it, and that's very frustrating for LSU fans. You look at the numbers, uh, Arkansas has won two straight. Prior to that, LSU did win three uh, three straight from 2011, and they've won those three games by 11 points per game. LSU averaging 26 points per game. They're rushing for 214 on the ground, only passing for 172 yards through the air. Last year, they only averaged 179 yards through the air, so they're seven yards less in 2016 than they were with Brandon Harris last year. So we'll see how it plays out. 7 o'clock tonight, Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live from New York, coming right back at you, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Marquee battle taking place 8 o'clock tonight in the Pac-12. What better way to talk about this game? Washington and USC doesn't get better than this. We're live on the Progressive Celebrity Hotline. 
Uh, we're waiting for former Washington standout safety Tony Parrish to join us. But, Rich, we might as well jump right into it now. Washington and USC, you look at this battle. They picked up the victory last year in the Coliseum 17-12. to Washington with a, a dominating performance. That was Steve Sarkeesian's last game as head coach of USC. Something tells me this defense will be up and ready tonight. I mean, playing physical style of football, I look for the Huskies to roll tonight in Seattle. Yeah, I do too. I I really like this team. From the coach Chris Peterson, now in his third season, to the development of Jake Browning, to the physicality of that Washington defense, I think they've been a little bit overlooked nationally despite being undefeated. They had to kind of hustle and grapple their way into the into the four spot finally this week. But I don't see a lot of flaws on this team, Joe, including on special teams. Now is their shot to show the entire country what they're capable of. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be a marquee battle. It's, a, it's the physicality when you talk about the Pac-12 that's been questioned each and every year. Even though Oregon made it in 2014, were they as physical back then as Ohio State? They weren't on the offense and defensive lines. You look at these teams overall defensively. I mean, playing very well in run support. And that's the one thing I think when you look at these teams, USC starting to bring it in recent weeks now with Sam Darnold, their quarterback, not just offensively, but defensively. And what Chris Peterson has transformed on the defensive side of the ball, I mean, it it's really goes back to the days uh, that in the early 90s when Don James was there. Yeah, and there are not familiar names to people on a national level. They are familiar to you and I, but listen, they have the elite defensive backs in Buda Baker and Sidney Jones. They have the beefy defensive linemen like Vita Vea and Elijah Qualls, two players that I would encourage the audience to watch this evening against USC. USC does not have the defensive talent that Washington does, I think that's the gap between these two teams tonight. Yeah, when Rich and I come back, we'll break down all the games in the Pac-12. Keep it where it is. This is Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live from New York. We're just getting started. Week number 11, you look at USC averaging 32 points per game, giving up 23 points per game. We'll see how this game plays out 8 o'clock tonight. Keep it where it is. Fantasy Sports Radio Network. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. The Pac-12 taking front and center stage later tonight. USC and number four ranked Washington live from Seattle. Doesn't get better than this. What better way to break this game down than with the former standout for the Huskies and a former All-Pro in the National Football League, former Washington safety Tony Parrish joins us. Tony, how are you today? I'm doing well, Joe. How are you doing, man? Uh, doing well. Great game, Tony. Always a pleasure to talk to you. One of the, the hardest hitters in C in Washington UW history. What's the atmosphere out there in Seattle uh, for this culmination of this big Pac-12 battle later tonight? Well, you know the atmosphere is electric. Everyone is really excited. It's been a long time. It's been since the 91 uh, uh, national championship team. Now we've had a team that go undefeated this deep into the season. So they're in, uh, you know, in, in waters that not many teams have have done in the Northwest, and there have been some good teams at UW. So uh, we've got a we've got a proud tradition, and people are really excited. Tony Rich Sermonello, is there any chance uh, for this young team to maybe be a little bit 
amped up for the USC game because there's so much at stake. I think Washington has been overlooked this year. Now they have a chance on a national stage to really prove what their potential is. I'm sure they are, and I would expect them to be. And, you know, and this is the time where uh, the leadership of uh, Coach Peterson is really important, you know, to make sure that uh, that they stay calm, um, that they can do the best that he can of just trying to manage expectations and excitement and just really get them to focus on one game at a time. All those old cliches are there for a reason because they're completely inescapable. And that's what the, you know, Coach Pete and the staff have to do with a team like this. Tony, when I look at this defense overall, I mean, the numbers are staggering. They're giving up 17 points per game. They're plus 15 in turnover margin, 27 total sacks, and more importantly, holding opposing offenses to 29% of their third-down conversions. What did Chris Peterson do that former coach Steve Sarkeesian couldn't do in terms of bringing the physicality back to the days of, like, when you played with Coach Lambright and, more importantly, to the old days of Don James? You know, I really think it's uh, it's a mentality. Um, it, it's it, you know, it has to be in the coach himself in order to you know to impart it and put it in his players. So it's something that um, people love to look at Coach Peterson and, and 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 the production of his offenses and how his quarterbacks are uh, you know put up big numbers and protect the ball. But you don't become that type of a defense um, on accident. That comes from the top down. So it's just a part of uh, Coach Peterson's. Um, his his motivation and sort of his direction that I think people overlooked. We were fortunate enough that he's a Northwest kind of guy. And after people, after teams were trying to grab him for years, we know we were able to do it. Tony, uh, could you talk a little bit about Buda Baker? I mean, a player that I've really enjoyed watching over the past couple of seasons. His importance as kind of the quarterback of the secondary to that entire Husky defense? I think he's... He's become more of a quarterback than a quarterback of the secondary. Um, he, he really is one of the tempo setters on the defense and on the team. You know, they look to him for his leadership and his, his, his guidance, like and his production. Um, you know, I like you know I'm a safety, so you know, so I love watching safeties and I love the secondary. Um, so you know, I'm expecting I'm expecting him to help set the tempo today. It's going to be a big game, big game for us. Tony, when you look at the loss, Joe Mathis out for this ball game. He's leading the team with five total sacks. How big of a, a loss will that be, and how will the defense respond in terms of game planning against USC quarterback Sam Darnold? You know, it's uh, it's it's when you lose someone with that type of production, um, they definitely they're definitely sorely missed. But it's time for someone to step up. You know, there's it's time for it to get production. And, uh, you know, it's, it's as simple as that. Someone has to step up and, 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 and chase down a quarterback. Talk a little bit about Jake Browning, if you could. I, I think we all expected the kid to play well this season after watching him last year, but I think he's actually exceeded a lot of our expectations, not just his ability as a passer, but his poise in that huddle for Washington. Yeah, his poise is kind of... It's kind of scary at times. You know, I remember even watching him as a, as a freshman, going, "You know what? The kids put up a lot of a lot of touchdowns, a lot of points. Sometimes he holds on to the ball a little too long before he uh, when he's scrambling when he tries to get rid of it. But he's really monotone back there. His his 
and he doesn't get too high, he doesn't get too low, which is something you want at a quarterback, and it's something that you don't really see in such a young quarterback. And that's what I was looking at him as a freshman. So I was really excited to see him develop into the quarterback that he currently is. And, um, you know, confidence, and still so much confidence, not only in his teammates, but for us, uh, you know, for us old dogs that are watching that know how important that is, um, you know, for the guy under center to have that type of steely confidence and to be able to sort of set the tone emotionally on the offensive side, especially when things aren't going well. Tony, when I look at the offensive side of the ball and I, and I look at the offensive scheme, it's sort of re- reminiscent of the uh, the old Washington teams because they're not doing read options uh, per se with Jake Browning and, and Gaskin at the running back position, but they do have a mobile quarterback that does like to roll out, much in the way of Damon Hoard did back in the day and Mark Brunel, and they're playing physical style of defense, and they have playmakers at the wide receiver position in John Ross and Dante Pettis. I mean, this is almost like an old school offense and they're pouring it on rushing and passing for over 200 yards per game. Yeah. You know what? John Pettis, no, I'm sorry, uh, Pettis and, and Ross, great combination. I love seeing those two guys play and they're getting more confident every week and they're looking better every single week. Um, I was thinking the other day when I was talking to uh, uh, one of our alumni, I was thinking back to when we've had a receiver tandem that as productive as, as these, two, these two. Uh, and it's been a while. But I think what I'd like seeing the most is it's still football, you know, and you still have to start by running the football. And that's something that we've, that we've missed in, in, a, in, in, in recent years is that ability to just run the ball on people, which was something Stanford was doing um, when they were on top of the Pac-12 for a few years. They're the most physical offense, and when they run it to, when it wanted to, they could just run the ball and physically dominate people, and that's something Harbaugh did over there. And I'm happy to see us having that ability to put up rushing numbers. Tony, give us the tail of the tape of what I think will be arguably the most intriguing head-to-head matchup. Juju on USC versus Sidney Jones on the Washington yeah. side. Two, obviously, NFL-caliber players. No doubt two NFL-caliber caliber players. Uh, and I think all eyes is definitely going to be on that matchup. Um, I think... We're going to find out uh, if they say who has the shortest memory, right? Because it's going to be one play at a time. Those two guys are going to go at it. And I wouldn't be surprised if it got a little chippy. I kind of want to see it. That, that means that they're in the, it's sort of emotionally in it. Um, we're going to find out, you know, who's going to win, uh, you know, the battle of one particular play and then who's going to come back and, and, and make a play and do something about it. I don't expect, um, you know, Sydney to shut out Juju and Juju to to put up astronomical numbers against Sydney. I think this is really going to be uh, the type of matchups that have that has NFL stout, scouts sort of you know salivating just to see how these two guys match up against each other. Tony, it's always a pleasure when you come on. I know you're three hours behind. You you're, you're out of bed there to join us, and I greatly appreciate you coming on the show today. It was great information. You're a good friend, and we hope you enjoyed it today. All right, no problem. Great time, man. Uh, give me a call anytime. Former standout from the Washington Huskies NFL All-Pro, Tony Parrish, one of the hardest hitters in UW history. Rich, he is an intense guy, and if you haven't seen him, he could still put on the pads yeah, and play today. I have. I have seen him, actually. He looks fantastic. We should all be that lucky.
When you look at this game, though, this game is going to come down to turnovers. Who can score first and put the pressure on the opposing quarterback? You look at Jake Browning, 67% of his passes, 2,273 yards, 34 touchdowns, three interceptions. You look at Darnold in the last four games, 68% completion percentage, 18 touchdowns, three interceptions. We'll see how this game plays out. Keep it where it is. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live from New York, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Back on College Football Game Day, we're going to go rapid fire, Rich, trying to get in as many Big Ten Mm -hmm. SEC games as we can. Northwestern Purdue, if you've looked at it, Purdue plays well every other week. They played a gutty effort on the road in Minnesota, lost that matchup. Northwestern coming off 21-10 loss to Wisconsin. I like Northwestern to rebound here, though. I think they have way too much offense and playing much better defense than Purdue in this battle. Yeah, now that they're not playing the Wisconsin defense, I think you'll see Clayton Thorson, Justin Jackson, Austin Carr back again. I like the makeup of this Northwestern team, so I think they'll win in West Lafayette. Yeah, you look at the last two meetings. I mean, Purdue lost this battle 21-14 to last year and two years ago 38-14. to It is a rivalry game, but we'll see how it plays out. Rich and I both like Northwestern a little bit later today in about 15 minutes. Let's touch on another one. Wake Forest in Louisville. Here's the thing when I look at this battle. Wake Forest with a gutty victory last week, 27-20. to They're bowl eligible now. I think they throw caution to the wind. They lost this battle 20-19 to last year, Rich. I'm not saying they win. I just mm-hmm. think they play Louisville a lot closer than people think today in Kentucky. You know, we we tend to say it every week, Joe. I think it all depends upon what is the motivational level for Louisville. Louisville has the clear edge in talent. They have Lamar Jackson. They can win this game by four or five touchdowns if they choose. But they could also, you know, not be motivated. We saw it against Virginia and Duke. I think now that Wake Forest is bowl eligible, I think you'll see a less motivated team because they've reached their key goal for the season. So I would expect to see Louisville roll. Yeah, I mean, I think there's no doubt that Louisville wins this battle, and they dominated Mm -hmm. Boston College last week, I mean, putting up over 50 points. We'll see how it plays out. I just think it'll be a lot closer. Wake Forest, very solid in run support. Here's one rapid-fire upset. Syracuse over NC State. They're averaging 336 through the air. NC State giving up 251 per game through the air. Would that be an upset at this point? I, I think a lot really depends on Eric Dungy and his health. If Dungy is able to play and play at full strength, I agree. I, I think they beat NC State. But if they have to go to a backup quarterback in Dino Baber's system, could be a problem for the yeah, Orange. They're catching seven and a half points. And here's the thing I look at when I look at this battle. NC State coming off the emotional loss where they had Florida State on the ropes. They lost that battle 24-20. to We'll take a quick break. We'll keep it where it is. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello, live from New York, going rapid fire. Top 25 games coming up next. Fantasy Sports Radio Network. You're listening to College Football Game Day on SB Nation. Radio. Here are your hosts, Rich Sermonello and Joe Lisi. Last segment of the show, Rich and I are going to go rapid fire. We'll just keep it where it is. Washington and USC, to me, it's going to come down to the defense forcing Sam Darnold, Rich, to make reads and progressions, and I think that that's where Washington has the edge. I look for them to win this ballgame by about 13 to 17 points. Might be close early, but in the end, the Huskies prevail and move on to week number 12 undefeated. 
Yeah, two very good young quarterbacks in the Pac-12. I just think Darnold is going to feel more heat, more pressure. He's in hostile territory. I expect to see Jake Browning play better. Double-digit victory for Washington. It's time to start giving this team more respect. I agree with that. Too much physicality on the offense and defensive lines for me as well. And look for Ross to break out with a big performance later tonight. Here's an intriguing battle. It's a, it's a primetime affair, 8 o'clock, Michigan and Iowa. Rich... This is my uh, upset special because when I say upset, I believe Iowa will be in a position to strike the upset in Kinnick Stadium. I think Michigan will be winning the area 17-13, but in the end, they prevail. But don't be shocked if C.J. Beathard and the crew are in this game from start to finish. Yeah, we're sort of on the same page. I think you're a little more optimistic about the Hawkeyes than I am, Joe. But I do think this will be more competitive than the experts believe. I think Iowa has played poorly throughout the season. They have an opportunity to make a statement, gain a little swagger that was missing earlier in the year. And they have a veteran team. They should be playing better this season. So I think it's competitive after halftime. But I still think a double-digit victory for Michigan. Well, keep this in mind, too. Iowa made it to the Big Ten championship game. They lost to Michigan State 16-13. They did not play Michigan Michigan State in the regular season or Ohio State last year. So I expect them, and they're coming off a 30-rushing-yard performance to Penn State in Happy Valley. I'm sorry. I look for Kirk Ferentz to have this team up. They're 5-4, and four, fighting to become bowl eligible. And here's the other thing. Desmond King in that secondary, he hasn't played up to par in recent weeks, but I think they have the defensive secondary to force Wilton Spade to methodically work down the field. And I think they can run the football to get it into that ugly style of game that Michigan really hasn't played in recent weeks. Yeah, and it's not like Michigan hasn't been challenged, right? That was a one-touchdown victory over Wisconsin. Iowa will try to play the same type of slow-it-down, run-the-ball, defensively tough type of a game that Wisconsin did, uh, drag them into a scrum. The problem I have is C.J. Beathard has not played. Forget about Desmond King. C.J. Beathard has not played as well as he did last year. Now he has to go up against Jordan Lewis and that elite Michigan secondary. Yeah, and the loss of Kanzari was big to that team. He, he graduated and moved on to the NFL so how big of a loss was him and Tevin Smith we didn't touch on this game and this is one of my upset specials Auburn and Georgia here's the thing Georgia's won four of the last five by 27 points per game they won 20 to 13 last year but Rich you look at their sack total 19 sacks in 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 nine games this year 13 of them have come in the last four games to me the defense is understanding Kirby Smart's system and I look at Auburn they struggled with Vanderbilt last week Jacob Eason, three touchdowns, no interceptions, last three games. Upset City, Georgia strikes the upset. They're only giving up 118 rushing yards on the ground. 34-27, Bulldogs prevail. Yeah, we're kind of thinking on the same track again with this game. We're I, in I like Georgia getting the points. Uh, I, I really like Georgia getting the points. Uh, defense is playing better. Jacob Eason keeps getting older. Auburn's backfield banged up. Cameron Petway not 100%. Kerryon Johnson will play also not 100%. You mix in the fact that it's in Athens and a rivalry game. I think this one's close throughout. Yeah, and Archie is in order, it seems like, today. That could be a scary thing, you know, when you think about it. Here's an intriguing battle. Uh, Last three games decided by a total of 15 points. G-Tech on the road in Blacksburg. I like Virginia Tech here. I think they're much better and more sound on the defensive side of the ball. They dominate this ball game by about 28 points. 
Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, Virginia Tech could smell the Coastal Division title. I think Georgia Tech is on the brink of a change with Paul Johnson. I think they'll have new leadership next year. The team can sense it. I think they're going to sort of slog to the finish line. Virginia Tech, on the other hand, again, they want to get to that ACC title game. Here's another one. I don't want to say upset special, but be very careful, Clemson. Deshaun Watson banged up. Pitt on the road in Death Valley. I think this game is much closer than people think. They're averaging 37 points per game, and they're rushing for 220 on the ground. I think they need to utilize James Conner. I think this game is a lot closer. I see, I see Clemson winning 10, 13 points, but don't be shocked if Pitt is in a position to strike the upset later today in Death Valley. Here's what Pitt has, Joe, which has surprised me about this team this year. They have talent. They have Ewan Price. They have James Conner. They have a veteran quarterback in Nathan Peterman, Jordan Whitehead, on the back of the end of the defense. Not a good year for Pat Narduzzi and his staff, but they have the talent to hang with Clemson. So I like where you're thinking with this And game. here's the thing about Pittsburgh. They're only giving up 111 rushing yards on the ground. If they can make Deshaun Watson a little bit one-dimensional, uh, it could be a ball game. They've lost shootouts as well. They lost to North Carolina, Virginia Tech, and Penn State, all high-scoring games. That's not the type of game you want to get into with Deshaun Watson. I yeah, think the secondary has game. been a problem. Secondary yeah, has been a big, big problem this year. And if Deshaun is on and he's healthy, then then you've got to contend with Mike Williams, Artavis Scott, Deion Kane, Jordan Leggett. That's the big problem. If, if the secondary can do their job, this could be a competitive game. Yeah, I agree. I think that this game is closer than people think, but I do think that Clemson prevails and moves on to week number 12 undefeated, and they'll win their division in my opinion I look for them to go unscathed even though that game at the end of the year non-conference against South Carolina the way South Carolina playing right now you have to be nervous if you're a South Carolina uh, Clemson fan at the end of the year but we'll see how it plays out we're just getting started stay with us each and every Saturday 10 p.m. to 12 p.m. for Rich Sermonello this is Joe Lisi enjoy the games you could always tweet us at go for the two at Rich Sermonello Have a great weekend, everyone. Live from the Big Apple Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Have a great weekend. Back on the last segment, Rich and I are going to go rapid fire. Rich, we'll try to get as many games in. Ready? Texas Tech, Oak State. I like Texas Tech to keep this game close. Catching 11 and a half, 3.30 p.m. in Stillwater later today. First team to 75 wins, that team will be Oklahoma State. Wow, okay. No uh, Chad Kelly, no Trevor Knight, no problem. Mm. Texas A&M <laughs> rolls at home with Jake Hubenack at the quarterback position. Yeah, more experienced quarterback. I'm curious to see if we get a chance to take a look at Shea Patterson, the Ole Miss quarterback. But I think this is Travion Williams' night against a bad Ole Miss defense. Here's another one we have to cover, Rich. Rutgers, Michigan State in about uh, three minutes. I waited until the last minute. Why do we have to cover it? Michigan State doesn't win this game. I know. know. And they're laying 17 points. 17 points in East Lansing. Can you imagine? Don't play this game in any way, shape, or form. I'm picking Michigan State, but eyes closed on this one. 
I guess. I mean, picking Michigan State for me is like pick, picking Notre Dame. I feel forced to do it. Why not? Michigan State finally wins, for Here, God's sake. Here's one I feel strongly about. Wash State over California. Wash State plus 10 in turnover margin, running for 120 yards per game, only giving up 118 on the ground. They force Davis Webb into, into mistakes tonight and dominate this matchup by 24 or more later tonight in Pullman. Yeah, no one on the East Coast is going to see it. It'll probably end about 2.30 a.m. I like the quarterback matchup, but I love the fact that the Cougars are playing defense. Not the case with Cal. Cal is playing like a big Sky Conference defense right now. Here's one I like. South Florida over Memphis. Memphis has won three straight, but South Florida rushing for 274 yards on the ground. Way too much physicality for me. Like South Florida to dominate this matchup by about 13 points. Two good young coaches. Mike Norvell's done a nice job at Memphis following in the footsteps of Justin Fuente. Willie Taggart at some point is going to get a Power 5 job. I'll take South Florida as well, but both teams are, are, are playing really good right now. Uh, let's just throw the thing out there. We have about 30 seconds. One more game we didn't touch on. How about this Minnesota. One? How about Minnesota and Nebraska? Love Minnesota. That yep, that's the one I was yep. looking. I couldn't find it. Yep. Minnesota, I think Rodney Smith, big day, upsets yep. Nebraska uh, this coming uh, – week uh, 3.30 at Memorial Stadium. For Rich Sermonello, this is Joe Lisi. We both like Minnesota. Stay with us each and every Saturday, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. right here on the uh, Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Keep it where it is. Have a great weekend.